The Green Knocker Podcast is a not-for-profit podcast where we do not accept money for guests to be on the show or for our opinions. We actually pay money to do this podcast because it's fun and we like to bust each other's balls. So stay tuned and here is the next episode. Is this not what you've been waiting for? Have you not been entertained? Pete from Furniture by Pete. Bill from William Patrick Customs. This is Grey Knockers. Right here, right now. Right now. Right now. What's up, everybody? What's up, Grey Knocker Nation? Oh, what up, everyone? Welcome to episode three of Grey Knockers. I am Pete from Furniture by Pete. My man Bill over there, William Patrick Customs. What's up, what's up? We have an awesome episode today. We have the marketing vice president, Matt Howard of Saw Stop. Now throw your pretty, hands pretty in the air, rim wave room like you just don't care. What? Oh, yes. The most, the most anticipated guest so far that we've announced. Uh, the company that makes, in my opinion, the best looking tool on the planet will join us uh, coming up soon, man. Pretty excited about it. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I wish I had a saw stop. I mean, <laughs> who oh yeah. Doesn't? So I, I think everybody out there, I I think that you speak for everybody wishes they had a saw stop. It's like I said, it's it's the coolest looking thing out there. But on the flip side of the excitement, today's episode is going to be about shop frustration mm. and what we do and how we handle those days where nothing goes right. And if you joined us yesterday. You saw firsthand what mm. we are all about here. Cue the Limp Biscuit track right now. I just want to break stuff. What was that song? It's just one of those days. Yeah, dude, it was... I, even after all the problems we had yesterday, from the phone dying, to the tablet dying, to my um, my volume just going out, as soon as we finished off last night, my cable remote died. I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> It is just, you know, seriously, there's nothing worse than when you sit down on the couch and you go to flip the channel and the goddamn thing doesn't work. Seriously. Right. How lazy are we where a cable or your remote goes out and you're like, son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it, especially like when you like are you get fully like laid down on the couch. You don't want to get back up. It's just right. not happening. Or when your wife, you get in bed and she's already kind of asleep and she's like, hey, uh. Will you give me a glass of water? And you just laid down. You're like, no, I'm not. Go get your own water. But you always get up and do it anyways, I guess. Yeah, see, that doesn't happen with me because I usually put them to sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Pete the masseuse. All right, so, um, All right. yeah, bad days in the shop. Um, yesterday, like you said, a very, very bad day. Uh, from start to finish for me, I mean, I had a lot of interruptions come in from the outside. So... Last day of school for my son, had to leave, surprise him with a three-and-a-half-foot blow-up cutout of his head, which was supposed to be embarrassing. I saw that. Yeah, we were aiming to embarrass him, but he ended up loving it, which was a backfire. It was was fantastic. I saw that picture. I'm like, that is great. I need one of those. We need to make one of me. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. That would be great because, first off, it would be bigger than me. Right. That's one. You know, so that's even like the best part. It could get you on more rides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely could. So I planned out my week on Monday and I'm like, you know, by Wednesday, I'm going to have this done. I'm going to bring it to the customer's house. I'm going to finalize some stuff with this bar top that I'm doing and we're going to put some finish on it. It's going to be great. I'm going to move on to my next thing on Thursday. Hopefully get two big projects done in a week. <clears throat> you know, and what's frustrating about it is when you do this full time, Time is very important because you schedule stuff to make money because this is your only source of income. So if you don't get something done, you don't get money. Now, in our world, Pete, that's very important, isn't it? I mean, it's, it is to me. Yeah, no doubt that the money part uh, is important. But when you're going through that, you know, I'm not thinking about the money part. Like, I'm thinking about just what the hell is going on? Why am I in such a funk? Why is something that I do every single day all of a sudden giving me a hassle today? Why do I feel like picking up this, you know, like the bookcase that I'm working on right now? Why do I feel like picking it up and just like throwing it down the driveway? The, the, the money isn't even on my mind. It's more or less, why is this becoming such a pain in my ass? Something so easy that I should be able to build in my sleep. 
why is this happening? Yeah, it's like the redo things, like something that you've been working on for a couple hours that you completely have to redo because the quality aspect of what we do is important to me and I know it is to you as well. So if we're doing something and the quality isn't there, time to start over. Talk about frustration. I mean, come on. Three hours, wasted material, wasted money, wasted time. That's where money comes into you know into it for me. But at the end of the week, I, I want a paycheck too. So money is important to me. I get what you're saying. It's frustrating as hell. But part of the frustration is that's my income. Yeah, like for me, you know, you think about it. So the bookcase I'm building right now has no back to it. So you're talking, it's literally just like a giant rectangle with some X's and a bunch of adjustable shelving. Now, when you hear about that, you're like, I should be able to bang that out, no problem. And that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'll have this built no time. Bam. It's just been one thing after another. Like, I didn't even, like, stop to consider that, you know, I'm drilling, like, you know, 150 adjustable hole shelves. Like, just after drilling one side, I'm like, God damn, my arm's tired. Right. This blows. You know, it's seven feet tall, and I kept hitting it on things, like, in the ceiling in the garage, whether it was the garage door opener, the light, uh, the drop light, like, anything like that. So I kept nicking it and having to sand it and then nicking it again and having to sand it again. Is that something even, that you could build on its back, though, or no? Well, no, like I did, and I was, but like when I was doing, I don't know, like when I was doing the uh, the X's, the side of it, I had it standing up, and again, so I, I had to do like four X's, so it was two X's like on top of each other on each side, and I banged out like three of them, no problem, nice tight fit, bam. The last one, it took me longer to do than the other three. I kept cutting. And it was too loose, even though like I, I measured it fine and I cut on my line fine, like no problem. But then I'd recut it a little bit bigger, too big, had to trim it, trim it too small. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? It was driving me up a wall. And then when I finally got it right, you know, I, I'm like going through like scraps and cutoffs, you know, cause the pieces you figure are only like, you know, like, you know, one by ones, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm trying to find like scraps so I don't have to like rip down all new boards just to get this. Mm. And then... But some of the sprouts weren't the right side. So I had to, you know, adjust the saw and, you know, make it so that they were one by ones. Because when I when I grabbed them, they were like one and a half by ones or something. You know what I'm saying? It was always like something stupid. And it was just so frustrating. But it sticks with me the whole day. That's my biggest problem is that it sticks with me the whole day. And I'm wondering, like, you know, what people do out there. Like, do they just – do they get away from the project all, you know, all together? Do they start something else and just let that be? You know, that's what I wrestle with because just like you said, time is money, but, uh, you know, we also have to consider, you know, back orders. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? So materials so money too. It, materials money too. You know what I mean? Like you have a decision to make. Do you start from scratch and make this piece over again? Or do you become, you know, the salvage guy? Do you salvage the mistake to turn, you know, does that keep the integrity and the quality of the piece? I know yesterday I had this bar top elbow that's made out of cedar that I'm doing. And my son put a McDonald's cup next to it. Next thing you know, a cord hits it, falls on a piece of the cedar. The cedar's stained. And I got to take that cedar board off that's already glued and screwed down and salvage the rest of the slab that I'm building. And it's like... We become salvage experts at some point, and whenever you have to do that, blood pressure goes up, your attitude changes, and yeah, the, it's a good question. What do you do mentally to get your focus back to one? We do this for fun. You know, this is something fun, even though it's a business, so I like to have fun, and you know, you like to have fun, so sometimes yeah, I walk away. Do you ever just like walk out? Do you shut the shop door and get out? You know, I, I used to. You know, I have issues where like I'll battle either like OCD or even anxiety. So I'll get away from that project, but then I start thinking about the consequences of doing it. So if I'm getting away altogether, that means not only is that uh, not getting done, so that's getting delayed, but the projects behind it are also getting delayed. So I start thinking about those repercussions as well. So usually I try to just fight through it and deal with the frustrations, but it just like, it ruins my mood all friggin' day and it's all I can think about it drives me it drives me completely nuts and it'll drive me nuts to the point where it will almost carry over into the next job 
it it, it, it really it does it. it it stinks and I'm, you know we all go through it uh to your point about like you know salvaging the only time like i'll salvage something like for instance like if i really screw up like a tabletop if i don't like it i, I mean i always redo it it's just something you know it's just me it's something i'll i preach that i you know i i care about the final outlook wait the entire top you'll redo yeah, I'll redo the entire top. So let's yeah. say let's say just like you screw up a breadboard, you're going to redo the entire top or do you just No, no, if I screw up a breadboard, I'll cut and put on a new breadboard. But but if there's something like in the, you know, in the middle sections of the table, I will redo the whole thing. But I will salvage the top like for instance, I can cut the tabletop down and do benches, you know, for the table. So it's not like it's really going to waste. It sucks. And without a doubt, like I'll be pissed and I'll bitch and moan about it. But yeah, I, I, I will, I care so much more about the outcome of it that like, it'll haunt me if it, like I'll find every little mark and I'll, you know, I just don't want that. I want to know like when it leaves, that's like when I'm comfortable. Otherwise right. it'll just eat at me. When you're painting a project, if there's a nick or a dink or a blemish in the wood or finish, it's easy to fill and paint over that blemish, right? But when sure. you're staining, you use the Plasta from DAP, the pink stuff. I, I use that as well. I also use Dunham's. Phil, do you ever okay. use that? Yep. I don't, but I know it. Do you ever fix a mistake with Phil if it's stained? Oh, yeah. Sure. So now you and I, because and most of us listening, we can see that little blemish we can see that little stained over part that isn't wood but do you think customers see it and does it take away from the quality do you think if you do it that way that's like a coin flip because i think it depends on what you're trying to cover up like if you're trying to let's say it's build. a knot let's say it's a knot and you know a lot of knots and softwoods have the holes in them if you're just gonna sure, fill yeah. a knot and stain over it not a big deal or no, that's not a big deal at all. Even if you had like um a small like a like a wormhole type of thing, like let's say let's say for instance like you know like you dropped like you know the the end of your hammer on and it really like dug in like a chisel type thing, you know, uh you could fill that with uh with dap, no problem, and you let it dry and you sand it and you are like nobody will ever notice it. I don't have a problem with that. What I get frustrated with is finding it after I stained it. Right. And then I and then I have to sand down the area where it's stained and 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 do it and it it drives me up a wall. Now I'll do it, but it like it will irk me then for the rest of the project I'll be irritated. Even after I fix it, I will be completely irritated. Another point to like staining stuff and seeing the blemish in it, you know, that a lot of this stuff when it's trial and error when you first start out like you won't use four by fours because of the way it takes stains and because of the grain pattern and because of the way it looks compared to the rest of the table when you're done. When you first, uh, well, when you... you're you're almost correct. Okay. See, like for instance, I have a table coming up. It's gonna be like they requested really wide boards, and the wide board look is usually in Douglas fir, it, and and that by nature has that reddish color. So. I would not be against using four by fours in that table because all of that wood will be Douglas fir and the entire table will have that reddish hue to it. I'm against using four by fours when you stain, if you build the whole thing out of like white pine, white spruce, call it whatever you want. But the only thing that has like reddish tones to it are the X's or whatever you use in a four by four because the stain doesn't take the same color. So if you're going to be consistent and use that, have that tone throughout the table, then it's fine. But I'm all about getting the color consistency for the whole table. Right. And I think, you know, in upcoming episodes, we can have, you know, companies that specialize in that area that can help all of us out far as specifics go in that area. But man, sometimes just getting back to the topic, because I know you and I, we, we, we get off topic a lot and that's fine. But I think that's what makes us entertaining too. Yeah, totally um, as far as getting frustrated in the shop, most of the time, I think what you you had mentioned, getting into another project and away from what you're doing just for a second, even if it's a second, like just walking away, take as much time as you need. Everyone's different, you know, built like a chick said on our live last night, she'll just close shop and go to the pool. 
you know? What, what Honestly, my go-to now, because I feel the need to stay in the shop, is I'll clean. I've made a consistent effort to try to keep the shop on the cleaner side this year as it is, you know, cleaning up each day and whatnot. So if I'm having, like, one of those days where it's driving me up a wall, I'll usually just, like, grab a broom, start sweeping, start putting things away, and just do that for a little bit. Just, you know, just enough to get away, but I'm not leaving the shop, and I don't feel like I'm, like, abandoning the work. But the reason why I kind of wanted to bring up this topic is because in our community, it's totally mixed with beginners and intermediates, which, you know, means that there are a lot of people that don't do this full time. There are a lot of people that are either doing this as a hobby or doing it part time with the hopes to become full time. Mm -hmm. When they look at people's feeds, all they see is always the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they never see side B of the record. Mm -hmm. you know, which is all the crap behind the scenes. So you might be a beginner out there going through this, these frustrating d days and thinking to yourself, you know, what are you doing wrong? And, you know, God damn it. Why can't I get, and you know what? Every single one of us go through it. You just don't see it. So I thought it was kind of like just important, like just to talk about it, just to see how we each deal with it and to let, you know, all those people out there know that, yeah, you see the nice final pictures of the things looking really nice and you know staged for photos or whatnot but that doesn't mean there weren't like 48 hours where i want to take it and throw it in the damn dumpster right and when we both started doing this part-time just for fun building neighbors and family member stuff i think i've learned the most from messing up from getting frustrated from figuring something out and you can't always walk away you could take a second, but sometimes the best thing to do is just to keep grinding at it. I mean, it's specific to what you're doing and what project you're on, but I think the learning curve comes from messing up. I think I've learned more from messing up and figuring out the right way to do it than watching YouTube. I mean, you can watch YouTube and you can figure stuff out way easier than messing up and it costs less money, the whole nine yards, but you gain a lot more in the long run, messing up, figuring it out, getting pissed, just charging forward. Now, if you need that time to walk away from a project, do it. Who cares? Especially if you're just learning and it's this isn't your full-time gig, what do you have to lose? No, I, I get it. One of the most uh, top uh, the questions I get a uh, topic is on the breadboards. And, you know, how do I do breadboards? And they'll watch my YouTube video on it. And, you know, they'll be intimidated or they'll tell me that, you know, they're having a tough time with it. I mean, you don't think that I was frustrated as hell when I first started doing breadboards when I first learned. If you're doing a, uh, a breadboard as a uh, as a tongue and groove, you don't think that when I did it, you know, for the first time that I either cut the tongue too thin and the, and the, uh, made the board like the groove too wide and it was loose and all frigged up. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that's. It happens. It's so freaking frustrated. Wait, did you have I, did you have a digital reader on your router table when you were cutting those grooves out? Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. No. I had wasn't I that, had a, wasn't just I learning a, that enough? Like just learning a, how to cut those joints were a week long of punching a baby. You I had a um I had a William Patrick Customs track saw, which was the piece of wood clamped on the end. And the best me kind. Sitting there, and me sitting there, you know, lining it up with the router and trying to set the depth and getting down eye level with the table and seeing if I'm taking off too little or too much. And then I'd get in uh, impatient and I tried to take off, you know, more at one time to make it go quicker. But then I would frig up and then have to start over. So even like the mistakes that I made back then, I'll still make them now. They'll just be like in different areas. You know, I don't make any mistakes in breadboards anymore, but that's only because I've done hundreds of them. I'll make stupid mistakes. Like how many people out there, seriously, if you're doing like molding around a like console table top or molding around the bottom of like a bookcase or a cabinet, like how many times, like, you know, cause you know, you just buy just enough molding. You never stock molding. Right. You buy just enough what you need. How many times have you screwed up and cut that 45 degree, you oh. know, too, too short and you try to make it work or you tried to put filler in it and it sucks. And you got to go back down to the store and get a new piece of trim 
and cut. It's a pain <laughs> in the ass. It's so friggin' frustrating. Yeah, you know and, you've done it. Don't even lie. You know no, you've done I've, it. You know I've, you've cut that bolt in like an like seriously like an eighth of an inch, and you're like, oh god damn oh, it. Yeah, no, doing crown and uh, trim pieces like that, and like what you just said, you're a thirty second off. You're like, eh, I'll just fill it. You know, I'll just I'll yeah, just right, put some yeah. fill in there. Hey, we yeah, are live. We are live on Gray Knockers right now, and uh, Addison Severn's Woodwork says the best feeling I've ever had in the world was doing my breadboards correctly and finally getting them right. So that frustrating part of a project, it's a learning curve. There's, it's just like learning how to do anything. If you mess up, those bad feelings will turn into the highest peaks when you get it right. Yeah, I'm actually, you know, it's curious because I want the people out there to kind of tell us you know, what they kind of mess up on the most or what drives them the most crazy, throw a, you know, throw a comment up on the grain knockers page uh, and kind of let us know like what you do and how you deal with it. Cause you know, we're definitely, uh, you know, curious. I mean, you know, hell we're all human. We all screw up and make mistakes. I now finally have this bookcase, you know, ready for delivery. Nice. Uh, I might, I might deliver it tonight. I might deliver it tomorrow. It depends on the client, but now, like, you know, I'm happy with it. I'm frustrated as hell that I still have it here because it should have been gone. Uh, but in the end, you know, I fixed what needed to be fixed and it's all set. But I, I still like there is still a part of me that is like completely pissed off that it's taken this long. And that everything else now that I had planned for the week is now set back. Yeah. So I, I have to also learn like when to kind of drop it, you know, I almost, you know, it's funny, like in, in life, I don't really hold a grudge that much or maybe I do, but in woodworking, I hold it more. It's almost like I'll hold a grudge on a project and I'll keep it on the next project. And the other table's like, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong, (laughs) but like, I'm, but I'm still pissed at it. You know, I'm like F you table, you know? Wait, so you didn't even need the volleyball. You didn't even need Nelson. You talked to your tables. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I'll tell you right now. Like <laughs> if somebody, I I think there was one day that the UPS guy like dropped something off and was just like watching me talk to something. It and was kind of creepy. He ran back to his van he looking over did. his shoulder, just like, what the, f- what the hell is it's that guy already, doing? I'll tell you right now, it's already creepy coming to my house because my driveway is like 600 feet long and you can't see my house from the street. When you oh. go down my driveway, it looks like you're driving down like a small street. So if you come to my house, you must really want to come to my house. Like I've never gotten a trick-or-treater. So <laughs> do you have a sign out front that says, hey, free candy? I, no, yeah. I, it actually, I have a sign at the top of the driveway that says free hugs. So, uh, Steve at Green Creations just commented, his driveway is creepy. Oh, yeah. Steve's been here, so Steve knows. Like it's just, it's super long. So even when you come down here, you almost feel like you want to stay a while because it took you a while to get down the driveway. You just don't want to leave right away. So, yeah, so I think he was, like, just watching me, like, talk and yell or something. But I do. I get so freaking frustrated. And I start throwing, like, the scraps on the floor, kicking them. And, you know, the the behind-the-scenes stuff is funny because I really think that that's where we all can relate and where we're all the same. Because I don't care what level you are at. You get frustrated, you get pissed, you have one of those days, you F up, and we all like react kind of like the same way. Right. And you know what? Everyone's going to react different. Um, some people are actually everybody should try to stick it a project out, um, even though it's frustrating, try to work through it and then, you know, step away the next time and try everything because everything has a benefit from doing it. The last thing you need to do is start ruining tools um, throwing stuff, beating up your wife. Like we don't promote that. We don't promote that. I was going to throw one of my routers across the shop, but then I remembered if I did that, I would only have 75 routers if that one broke. So I'm really kind of hung up on having that 76th router. I just didn't want that problem. Right. Yeah. I can't have that. I need more routers. So um, we will announce the winner from our episode two giveaway. It is a 2.5 RZ mask. Um, I ordered one right after the interview in episode two, and I got it a couple days. And I'm pissed that I didn't have it like a long time ago. Yeah, I, dude, I, I, I told you um, I hate wearing those, uh, those masks, any type of dust mask. And I don't know what made me give this one a shot. I just said, yeah, you know, screw it. I see like a lot of people wearing it. And without a doubt, like I could wear it for 
hours. Half the time I forget it's on my face. My face doesn't sweat. So, um, and I tell you right now, the winner of the RZ mask, not only are they going to love it, but man, do they deserve to win this mask. Very well that was ser- Dude, that was, some, that was like the funniest thing. Needs a little work on the Boston accent. Yeah. You know, he doesn't quite have my thing down. He pulled a bill. Uh, he pulled a William Patrick Customs off like to a T. Yeah, he oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. All you got to do is put sunglasses on and look stupid and then like uh, that's you know, he pulls you right off. Here we go um, again. Uh, but it was you know, it was it was freaking hysterical. It was hysterical. Awesome. So. Do you remember So why don't you why, why, why don't you go ahead and announce the winner? Do you re- do you remember his name or no? Uh, I just remember his Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Announce it oh, now. Then, oh, 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 so I get to announce it? You oh, get that's to, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, uh, congratulations to at Ebony and Birch. Ebony for and Birch. Yeah, for winning the RZ Mask giveaway. Uh, it, was, it was freaking hysterical. If you guys have not seen the post, uh, go to at Ebony and Birch. Uh, E-B-O-N-Y. A N D B I R C H. Check out the video because it's it's hilarious without a doubt. Deserve it of the mass. So congrats, my man. Have fun. Shoot us uh, a message with your address so we know where it's going, and uh, make sure you know you uh, you shout us out when you get it. Yeah. Also, you can look up that video under the hashtag Grain Na- uh, Grain Knocker Nation and stand tall with Pete. Hashtag stand tall with Pete. I, at the yeah, end of that video, he's like, I'm going to need a bigger stool. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the worst Boston accent ever. So we really need to work on that. But I think we really need to keep the stand tall with Pete thing because that is uh, that that's that's part of our show now. It stand is. tall with Pete. It, it's, that's got to stay. Hey, um, we have uh, a public service announcement coming up uh, right now. After that announcement, we will be live with Saw Stop. Awesome. Are you the guy that wears sunglasses in a restaurant after 8 p.m.? I mean, sometimes. Are you the guy that wears sunglasses when it's dark out and not even bright? Well, only when I'm trying to be cool. Do you look like William Patrick Customs and wear your sunglasses at inappropriate times? Don't be that guy. This message was brought to you by Sunglass Companies Everywhere, telling you that we made sunglasses for when it's bright. Don't be a douchebag. Thank you. But that's my thing. What am I going to do now? Grain Knocker Nation, we are happy to have Sawstop in the house. We have the marketing vice president, Matt Howard, joining us right now to talk a little bit about Sawstop and what they offer the woodworking community. Pete, are you excited about this or what? Yeah, I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, I know that when we had talked about this uh, earlier, it's probably the most messages I've received online about how people cannot wait to hear from SawStop. So uh, I'm really excited to get to this. Matt, thank you for joining us. How about we start just by you? Uh, I mean, everybody knows SawStop, at least as far as I know. I mean, you have a a very eye-appealing machine, as Pete said in episode one of our podcast. He thinks that SawStop is not only you know, a great saw, but one of the best looking. Not just best looking uh, saw. I think the SawStop table saw is the best looking tool oh. that I've come across. And, you know, just leading right into that, Matt, I want to ask you, how much was eye appeal a factor when designing SawStop? We, we know about the safety part of it, but when I walk into a store and I see it, it just immediately grabs my eye. And I wonder if you could talk about the eye appeal in the design of the saw. Thanks for having us on the uh, podcast. We're pretty excited about the project you guys have going here. Uh, in answer to your question, when we made our first saw, we made our industrial cat saw. It was our first saw that we made. And we were designing it in 2003 and 2004. We had the tech locked down. We knew the technology was going to work great. And so that wasn't what needed the most work. What needed the most work was us making an amazing saw that we would want to own, right? That we would just geek out about. So we'd, we'd owned the other saws that were available in the market at the time, and we knew we liked about it, we knew we didn't like about it. And so one of those things that we didn't like, because we just had that gleam to it when you walked into your shop, 
turn on the light, what hits your eye? It's the tool, it should be the tool that's sitting right in the middle of your shop, right? That right. should be the pride and joy. And so black for us is just like that awesome, sweet car that you've got that you, you know, you're out there in the, in the driveway rubbing it with a diaper on a warm day and making sure it's nice and clean. <laughs> you know, that should be the same, same level of pride should be with the table saw. And so that's what we brought to the table. In addition to, you know, that ICS, that's what bad the saw is the heaviest weight, most powerful tender saw that's available on the market. So not only did we just geek out on, on the appearance, but we also geeked out on the amount of steel and cast iron that we put into it just to leave no doubt. This was the best of the best. And it doesn't uh, hurt that, you know, we're based in near Portland, Oregon. We were, that's where we were invented. The tech was invented here. It's where we're owned out of. And we're tra- the Portland Trailblazers are just up the street. So black and red is dear to our heart. Well, we like black and red in Chicago, but it's not for the Portland Trailblazers. I'm sorry. It's I more- hear you. I hear you. Well, <laughs> we wish we had as many wins as the Bulls do over the years. Right. <laughs> so basically, uh, Saw Stop started with this technology and then you built a saw around it is that how it came about that's actually a real fair uh, appraisal of it simply you know if you look at the trunnion underneath the table of any saw stop model that trunnion is nothing you'll see on any other saw right so so there's a traditional configuration to a trunnion that is pretty similar from saw to saw to saw until you get to saw stop so in order to make sure that the tech is repeatable, that the response is repeatable every time you have that, uh, that detection, it's going to respond appropriately. And also, when it responds, it's not going to damage the tool. It's going to be an easy reset every time. In order to ensure all those things, the trend has to be extremely custom. And so that's where we had to begin, is tech, how do we stop it? And then how do we do it in a way that not only doesn't damage the saw, but ensures that everything is aligned, everything is easily adjustable, and you have a perfect experience every time. Matt, real quick, leading into that, how you're talking about, um, you know, making sure that everything is, is stable and can take, you know, that shock effect to the saw. Is there such thing as a life expectancy as to how many times a saw can go through that safety measure? No, no, there isn't. Um, the the if you have you seen a hot dog demo before that we do at face shows, or have you seen a few activations on YouTube, that kind of thing? Oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah. So you yep. see that cartridge that the cartridge that stops the blade uh, in under five one thousandths of a second, uh, under five milliseconds. That is actually taking on the brunt of the of the energy. So that, that blade's spinning about 4,000 RPM. And then when it comes to that stop, the aluminum part of that brake is designed as a pump zone and it absorbs the lion's share of that energy. And then there's a second motion that absorbs the remainder. So the angular momentum on the outside edge of that blade, you know, it's spinning at 4,000 RPM. It wants to go somewhere. And so some of it goes into that aluminum when it absorbs that energy and collapses. And the rest of it, it actually is consumed by the dropping of the blade below the table. So the arbor is designed to drop below the table. It's not like the, we don't pull it down. There's no additional activity that's happening there. It's simply us using up the angular momentum on the outside edge of that blade so it can just continue. So between those two activities, my point is there's not a whole lot of energy left to be absorbed by the saw itself in a negative way. You know, so it's not going to have this negative impact on the actual saw itself. A good example of it is we're going to be at the AWFS show in Las Vegas in July, as we are every other year, the big international woodworking fair in Atlanta. We have demos every hour on the hour at those events. And we'll have the same saw have an activation 36, 40 times over the span of three, four days. And not only will it be in, in perfect working order, it won't even be out of alignment. Right. And you know what, Pete, if a guy, okay, if you're worried about that, and it's a good question and it's fair, but if you're worried about how many times you're going to set that cartridge off, you should probably consider another hobby. You know oh I mean? yeah. No, you know? <laughs> no, no doubt about, no doubt about that. But I, I was always curious to know, like, you know, is there a limit to how many, you know, um, safety drops that the saw can handle? I mean, that's, I mean, it's good to know that it's well built to the point where, you know, that's not really a factor 
in the longevity of the saw. Yeah, and on Saw Stop's website, they illustrate how they went into the quality of the saw because it's all it's all built in the United States. The technology is United States. Uh, the saw itself is built here, and it's no, all. Yeah, it's actually. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. The saw is actually is engineered here in the United States. It actually is built in Taiwan. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I don't want to misrepresent anything. It's uh, it's U.S. owned and it's U.S. engineered. It's just like every other table saw in the industry, our saw is uh, is built overseas. Okay, but you guys really put a point of emphasis on the materials used in building the saw. Um as listed on your website of the carbon steel and it's really reinforced to the point where, you know, people get a saw stop, they're getting the best of the best when it comes to table saws, not only for the safety features, but for what you get. I, I, well, of course I agree with you, but I, you know, it's my home team, but it's two different things that really result in that difference as far as accuracy. One is a lot of table saw manufacturers have the luxury. uh, It's just luxury because it's easier for them. Of when they want to build a new table saw, they can go to these uh, third-party manufacturers that are in Taiwan, that are in you know, somewhere in mainland China, and they can say, what table saw do you make right now? Oh, that one looks good. Let me change this and this and the color, and we'll call it mine, and then we'll go and we'll sell it. We didn't have even the luxury to do that if we wanted to, nor did we want to, but we, did, we couldn't have because everything had to be designed for our safety system, right? So everything... All the plans, all the designs that go into our table saw, all the engineering is just so. It makes me think of a old, when Acura first launched their cars years and years ago, they had a commercial where they were running ball bearings down every single scene of the car, mm-hmm. and everything just tracked perfectly. It's kind of the same idea with saw stuff. Everything fits together because it was designed to fit together. They're not off-the-shelf design. Right? So that makes a huge difference in your experience when you walk into a you know, a woodcraft or a rockler showroom and you put your hands on a saw and you'll have know, in addition to that, our quality control is, is next level level of uh, of failures we'll accept and versus what we'll reject. And the result outs in the field. You go on to any sort of chat room online, you see what people think about saw stuff. We're really proud of the, the level of customer satisfaction we have. Matt, real quick, uh, if you could talk to us about when the technology you know, idea of it, uh, when it first came into someone's mind to create it, when it came to market, and has the technology evolved at all since you first came to market with it? Has anything changed with it or been upgraded? The technology was invented in 1999 by Dr. Stephen Gass, who's the president of our company. Very smart man. He's got a PhD in physics. In addition to the time, he's a practicing patent attorney a PhD in physics and an inventor by hobby at the very least, and also an avid woodworker. So he was he had been working on some capacitive tech in another application and uh, also you know had his uh, table saws at various uh kind of converted barn on his property and that's where he used to tinker and he was in there and he's like, I wonder if I could. He just kinda had that moment and uh, six weeks later he had a prototype. And so uh, so the fast worker and uh, and Really, kind of that was that was the start. Okay, so in 1999, it was invented, and uh, the first saw stop saw was shipped in the late 2004. So 1999-2004 was kind of the formation of the company. Uh, they they made a, uh, a rather infamous appearance at the National Woodworking Fair. It became a, the, uh, they were kind of the star of the show at that one, and I believe that was 2000, if I'm not mistaken, and. Uh, and, yeah, and uh, thought about licensing for a while, and then decided to build it, uh, build it ourselves, and uh, and then just kind of went on from there. Improvements over the over the years, that kind of thing. Not really. We we came out with when we first came out with the industrial cabinet saw. It had a a, a clear cartridge. Then we since went to one that's uh, semi-transparent blue, to, to, and and we changed the color of it. It's no to note that this new cartridge won't fit into the saw that we made first year and a half. So there was some rev there, but it was not so much for the ability to detect contact with skin or anything like that, as, as, as much as its ability to store data. It's one of the things that's great about a, uh, a cartridge is when you've had that activation, you can take that cartridge, you can send it back in the saw stop, and we'll be able to tell you with reasonable accuracy 
what happened to cause that activation, whether it was uh, you, whether you just accidentally put a bunch of aluminum into the saw versus you actually touched it with your finger, that type of thing. As far as materials go that people cut on a, on a table saw, does saw stop allow for multi-materials to be cut on their saw without activation of the technology? Yeah, so the, the, the technology works based on capacitance, your body's ability to absorb electricity. And so it's, it's, it's calibrated, the saw is calibrated to a typical human's ability to absorb electricity. So if a nail hits the saw, it's not going to activate by itself. The nail's floating in a piece of wood. But if I was touching the nail, it would activate because the nail would be conducting that electricity and I would be absorbing it, hmm. right? Um, as far as the, the amount of different materials you can cut, there are two things. One, there's a wide range of materials that don't have nearly the capacitance of a human body. Therefore, you can cut those no problem. And the second part of that question, or that answer would be, if you're worried about it and you're running a soft stop saw, all you have to do is ask the saw. It has a... Has a met, there's an easy method by which you can just test the material and see if it's going to be an issue with the safety system. There's a bypass mode, and so the bypass mode is operated with a key. And the reason there's a key there is if you know you're a parent, you don't want your kids to be able to bypass it. If you're a boss, you don't necessarily want your employees to be able to bypass it without asking first. Those types of things. So if they have the key, they can bypass the safety system. And then if they've got anything, that big sheet of aluminum, they can cut it. You know, there's no problem, right? Of course, it's a dangerous tool at that point because you've bypassed the safety system. But you can cut anything you like. And while it's in bypass mode, it's still detecting. It's still watching to see if you contacted the blade. And it'll give you a red or a green light on the front of the saw telling you it would or would not have activated. So if I have... Um, Say I'm going to cut some solid surface material, countertop material, and it's got a lot of metal flex in it. I'm like, is this going to be a problem? All I have to do is throw it into bypass mode, make a couple of test cuts, and look at the lights. And it'll tell me, green, you're good to go, put it back in safe mode, or, or red, uh, you better leave it in bypass until you're done with this cut, or you would uh, waste a cartridge. So it's simply ask the song. Matt, when I talk to people outside of the woodworking community about SawStop and the whole technology behind it and why it's good for someone in my industry, uh, I always reference the hot dog test that we've all seen online. And the first response that I get when I mention that to people is they say, well, why a hot dog? Why don't they test it with, you know, with an actual person if that's what it's supposed to do? Has anyone over at the SawStop headquarters actually tried it firsthand to see? Yeah. Um, so, so Dr. Gass, who invented it, he's done it with his finger. Uh, well, as far as anybody in the in the wider world knows, at least one time. Uh, if you go to YouTube, I think it's Discovery. It's a Discovery Channel a Time Warp show. So if, if you uh, enter and search for SawStop Time Warp video that was done with hot camera with Dr. Gass putting his finger into the saw. There, there's a limit to the practicality of putting your finger into the saw over and over again. One, I've, I've personally done the hot tub demo. This is not an overstatement, at least a thousand times. So, And the saw is designed, it's engineered to not respond until it has contact with your finger. Right? So I'm not, you know, paper cuts are fine, but I don't know if I want a thousand of them. We're also a safety company, so I don't know about it, it just it feels very reckless to me to just throw our fingers into the saw blade, you know, at random when we can do it with a hot dog. It shows how the tech works, and we can tell the story without one me getting a scratch and having a bunch of band aids all over my hands. You know, at the end of IWF, I got thirty six band aids, <laughs> or uh, or or at the other side, just looking reckless. We're not a reckless company. We're a responsible company. We're teaching people. We, it's not just because you have a soft stop. We're not saying throw your gun away. We're not saying throw your uh, your safety procedures away. If you use a push stick, keep using the push stick. Good hands, those are all important. Uh, the, the diving knife is important. Dust collection is important. Safety is important. So we're not cowboys. We are here to make sure that we're doing what we can to support safe woodwork. As far as technology goes, I have a way better understanding of it now. But for someone that wants to know 
about the saw itself, putting the technology aside, what features does a saw stop have power-wise, uh, dust collection-wise, that separates it from other table saws? Well, I'm glad you mentioned dust collection because it's, it's a category we're far and away above any other saw on the market, uh, specifically in our cabinet saw. So in our professional and our industrial cabinet saws, which range in, in horsepower from one and three quarter horse to seven and a half horse, depending if you went through the professional and the industrial line. So a lot of different variations within that category. But what's common among all of our cabinet saws is we get 99% dust extraction nice. out of all of our cabinet saws. And so that That's is amazing. Nowhere, nobody comes anywhere close to that in this category. That's awesome. And the reason, That's amazing. And the, and the reason why, why it works is I don't care how big of a big daddy dust collector you get, and, and how, you know, you put it outside of your garage, you got this Oneida beast, I don't know what you've got, but you bring a ton of CFM to the back of your saw. But if your saw is not delivering the dust to the point of extraction, to your forage port on the back of your saw, it's not going to get extracted. Mm-hmm. It's just going to sit there in the bottom of your, dust, of, your uh, of your cabinet until you bring a hose to it and clean it out, you know, every quarter or however often you do that. Remember to do it. With our saw, the difference is we've actually designed our engineers, which are some smart people, have designed shrouding around the blade below the table and above the table with our dust collection blade guard that shapes the air turbulence. I mean, I said that the, the blade's spinning at 4,000 RPM. It creates a lot of air turbulence. So why not use it to pick up the dust and carry it to the point of collection? So we're just shaped the air, it carries the dust out, and it takes it all the way to the four-inch port on the back of the saw, and then you can take it away with your awesome dust, dust extractor. So I saw um, SawStop had an offer for dust collection um, where you bought one of your table saws and you got that top-mounted dust-controlled uh, uh, hose set up. And I, I know I just butchered the terminology of what it actually is, but what would be the number one accessory that a customer would, a woodworker customer would buy after buying a saw stop? Well, after buying a cabinet saw, um, the, if they're buying a cabinet saw, probably the most common would be mobile bases. And so not everybody gets a mobile base. Some people like to keep the saw where it is, but the mobile bases are probably the most common. Uh, we have a couple of choices in mobile bases, but you put those two together, those are definitely our biggest movers. Um, our most popular mobile base, just by a customer claim, is our industrial mobile base. It's got uh, it's, it's it's got a pneumatic pump lift, and uh, and it lifts the whole saw right up. It's got a thousand pound capacity, and uh, and four independent casters. You can move that saw any which way you like, with one finger once you got it pumped up, you know, as long as you're on a concrete floor. So. Uh, that is our most popular, both by acclaim and by volume, if you combine it with our, uh, our integrated mobile base as well. Uh, the, the three horsepower and above saws come with a dust collection blade guard already. So the accessory you were talking about that was part of a professional cabinet saw promotion that ended in April, at the end of April, um, that attaches to the blade guard. It's not, it's not the blade guard, but it attaches to the blade guard. So the three horsepower saws come with the blade guard that, that attaches to. Uh, so that, that, that overarm accessory is popular. Some people already have some dust extraction integrated or tubing integrated into their ceilings, which isn't very common, but occasionally they do. And so instead of buying that overarm piece, they just drop a hose from their uh, from their ceiling and it keeps it clear of their uh, wood cutting. Matt, um, segueing into uh, the accessory talk here, a new item that I saw that you guys have come out with is a router table. Uh, both a standalone and an attachment to an existing saw stop table. Was coming out with the router table, you know, almost kind of second nature because it can tie into the table saw? Was it, was that like a nice segue into you guys having another tool? Yeah, we, we actually have a whole line of new of new options coming out uh, near the end of summer. The router tables are a part of it. We have a new uh, collapsible outfeed table that we're coming out with. We have a we already offer one sliding table option. We're going to offer a much larger one for people that want to do sheet goods. Um, in addition to that, we'll have a we were just talking about over the overarm dust collection. We'll have a new item, a floating overarm in case you're doing non through cuts and so on. You can still keep a guard in place. You chose that one. And you still get dust extraction. Um, but in the router table category, 
that you're you're pretty much right on the nose. The reason we were excited about roundtable category is because we see people kind of MacGyvering solutions. They want a integrated router into their extension wing, right? Because it makes sense. Like say I have limited space, I don't have a ton of room in my shop. It's a multi-use space, and I want a good router lift and I want a good router table, but I don't have I I don't use this extension table space all the time. Why can't I integrate? a router lift into that. And so we see these really clever solutions, people posting online of them customizing, uh, sometimes actually uh, doing their own cast iron work, uh, drilling a bunch of odd holes into the rails and so on. So our goal is we wanted to offer our customers a real high-end solution that integrates seamlessly into their soft top stock. And so we're offering that in, in any 36 and a 52 inch rip capacity in a cast iron saw, 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 they're going to be able to integrate a beautiful cast iron table with a four post chain drive router lift. It's really high end and, uh, and it's just going to work perfectly. That's awesome. And so so the, the floor model and the benchtop model came after that. Like we're in business, we're looking at these products. We, we think we can deliver an awesome cast iron table. We know we have a really great router lift. So why not offer this floor model and this benchtop model in addition just to support our customers? Now to clarify uh, on the uh, on the router table, because uh, just so the listeners know, not only is it just a uh, a table insert or a standalone, but if I read correctly, you also are doing the actual um, like the lift for underneath as well. The lift, yeah. So, yeah, we have actually a four-post chain drive lift with the brake that's uh, super high-end. Uh, it has uh, collar-down adjustments for different side routers. We're very excited about that. Is there any way that SawStop would sponsor two poor, ugly-looking um, podcast hosts? Because listening to all this is like, wow. I, Pete, aren't you getting like a little excited, yeah, I like mean, tool excited over there? I, I, I am. I mean, honestly, I mean, it goes back to what I've always said about how it's the best looking tool I've ever seen. Uh, you know, like you guys, the there's a tool sitting right outside my office here in Twilight, Oregon that, that is the coolest soft op I have ever seen. Now, it's professional cabinet sauce, not the industrial, so, yeah, so but right now it's sitting there and it's got a a 36-inch rip capacity, so it's not our biggest rip capacity. But when you choose that option and put in this cast iron table, this is a prototype, right? It's not available on the market till late summer. When you put in that table, the whole table is cast iron. Mm, wow. All the way left to right, it's cast iron. And it is the coolest thing. And this particular uh, configuration also has a sliding table and also has the folding out feet on it. It's like this Swiss Army saw stop. It's so sweet. I'm super excited about getting it out smart. So I totally sympathize with you guys as far as <laughs> being excited about this stuff. I'm like, I kind of <laughs> want to take that one home myself. But they're like, no, it's the only one we have right now. So, so I can't have it. I can't have it. Matt, last question from me. And, you know, I, I don't really know what the difference is, but maybe you can help me and anyone else out there who doesn't know um, get some answers. So you guys offer a three horsepower and a five horsepower. And I'm trying to yeah. figure yeah. out. And, wait, Pete, and a seven yep. and a half. And a seven and a half. Yeah. Okay. Can, can you tell me in what areas someone would need, you know, a seven and a horse and a five horse? you know, uh, type table saw. I mean, I can't even imagine the power behind that or what type of stuff you have to be cutting, you know, to require something like that. So, so just my model, a quick clarification, our professional cabinet saw, which is the one that is most, is, is most commonly purchased by somebody who's running a really awesome uh, home workshop. Right, they're building furniture. They're doing serious business, but they're doing it from home. The professional cabinet saw is the most common application. The industrial cabinet saw is built for a heavy-duty cycle environment. That doesn't mean that some of those also aren't sold and sold to uh, people who are running that really awesome home shop, and they just want the best saw. Because the industrial is the best saw. There's no doubt about it. But the industrial is where you get into five, and where you get into seven and a half. Right, so this is a saw that's that's most commonly placed into uh, a. Yeah, I'm 
building cabinets for a living, and I've got you know a multi-man cabinet shop. I'm putting an industrial cabinet on. If I'm a school, I'm putting an industrial cabinet on. And I just want this thing to be bulletproof. You know, it you want it's more. It's, I, I think it's more durable than the old Powermatic 66. It's more durable than an older Rockwell Delta. It is is a bad bad saw, right? So that that is most commonly configured in a five horsepower uh, configuration, simply because they don't want to have to slow down. They don't want to. They want to have efficiencies in their manufacturing, and so five horsepower is going to chew through eight quarter. You know, eBay. It's going to go through the, the, the wood without doubt, right? And so then the following question is, what about seven and a half? Who's buying the seven and a half? Well, not as many people are buying the seven and a half, but people who are buying the seven and a half commonly had a 12 inch saw before, or, or you know, a larger blade size saw, and they're used power that came with that saw. And so they didn't need the blade height that the 12 inch gave them, but they still wanted to have that power. Even if they don't need it for what they're putting into it, they wanted to know it was there. And sometimes they do need it. And uh, I'd have to ask them what they needed it for, but uh, five horsepower is the most common in the, in the industrial line. All right, so Matt, the last thing that we like to do with guests is a two-part question. It's actually two questions from myself and then two from Pete. It's called yes or no, and you can only answer in yes or no, with the exception of pleading the fifth, because it it, it is your constitutional right. I mean, right, Pete? I, mean, well, I, sure. I appreciate that. I, I got to go get the attorney from down the hall. Yeah, no, I'm ready to go. Yeah, okay. So I'll start us off. Okay. I'm going to ask Matt from SawStop, were you affected by Chris Cornell's death being so close to Seattle? Yes. Pete, you're up. Matt, uh, yes or no, uh, you have a, a job site table saw available to people. Does that mean SawStop plans to get into big box stores anytime soon? Yes or no? No. Oh, that's a, okay. Pete, you're, this was my segment and you're better at it than me. I hate you. Shocker. I hate Shocker. you. Shocker. Um, Matt, yes or no? Chicago pizza is way better than New York pizza. No. Oh, that's our first no. Wow. Wow. No. You know what? I, I, I like since, Matt. Since, since you say that, I have to ask my traditional question uh, with it, but I do have one more, so I'm going to slip in a third after. Uh, but yes or no, Boston away. baseball I, I, fans. i got to be able to fold my pizza. <laughs> fold Chicago pizza. <laughs> Uh, Matt, yes or no, Boston baseball fans are better than Chicago baseball fans? No. Yes! Wow. Yes! See? You wow. don't even know, Pete. He's, you, he has bucked the trend in this interview. Wow. You, you, and, Ma- <laughs> you and Mark Wahlberg are over there crying in your eye rock. <laughs> okay. So la- last question then, Matt, yes or no. Uh, by next year... Will SawStop have a new tool on the market that is not a table saw or router? I'll plead the fifth on that one. Okay. Hey, no, we're, I'm not disappointed. I'm disappointed <laughs> I don't have a, a SawStop in my shop right now. That's what I'm disappointed <laughs> yes, about. Yes, seriously. I well, mean, all, I, all I can see – Why don't you care about your finger? I should – my wife might be listening, okay? If I could get yeah, her approval yeah, – so- so if I talk to a, to somebody who manages a retail store, and, and they'll tell me there's two things that a spouse make a husband purchase in their store. One is dust collection, the other one is soft stop. So if anybody's listening to your program who wants to figure out a way how they can get the best tool they possibly could buy into their shop, they need to get their spouse involved and, make, and tell them, boy, I'm really been worried about my fingers. And the next day, they have to move a soft stop into their shop. I completely agree. If she can get her nails done every two weeks, I can get a saw stop. Yeah, because, you know, if you don't get a saw stop, you won't have any nails to get done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. I, I tell you, I've already uh, started my, uh, my saw stop fund. Anyone who follows me on Instagram or listens to the podcast knows that I cannot stand my Bosch 4100 table saw. And I am all over the one and three horse, uh, one and three quarter horsepower cabinet saw. Uh, I, I, I mean, I can't wait. It's just a matter of time before I get it. So it, it's, you know, it's the greatest thing that I've seen. 
Gotta have to, gotta get the soft stop. That's right. Absolutely, you gotta get soft stop. Matt, thank you so much for your generous time today, joining Grain Knockers and Grain Knocker Nation. Um, can you please just let people know the best way to find you and your products? We are easily found at softstop.com and at over 400 wonderful retail locations across the U.S. and Canada. So. Uh, we are easy to come across. I just encourage people to go into those uh, your local uh, woodworking store, support local, and uh, get your hands on a stop stop. We have a dealer locator on our website. I appreciate you, uh, you know, answering the emails and uh, taking a second to join us this morning. Thank you. All right, thanks, Bill. It's nice to meet you guys. Want to thank you all for joining in this episode. Really appreciate the support. Thank you to Matt Howard, marketing VP at SawStop. Check them out at SawStop Saws on Instagram, SawStop.com on the web. He is at William Patrick Customs. I am at Furniture by Pete. Together we are Grain Knockers, and we will see you next time. Hey, Grain Knocker Nation! Make sure that you use the hashtag hashtag Grain Knocker Nation. Also, the hashtag Stand Tall with Pete. Keep sharing on Instagram and Facebook, and we will keep bringing you episodes.